0: Did you just lick your fingernails after you marinated something with chilli powder?
1: Yeah, my mouth's really spicy now. At least I didn't touch my eyes.
0: Or your... Anyway, theme song... What's up, everybody? Welcome. We're back with yet another couple podcast, episode eight. Sorry for the uh, unintentional hiatus. Um, this is meant to be a weekly release kind of podcast thing. Uh, it's been more than a week. It's sure. been like three, maybe three, maybe maybe even three and a half. I I don't even know when yeah. we released last one. We
1: had a bit of an idea block, safe to say. Oh well,
0: I think it was that, and also we were away a couple. Well, one weekend I was working, the other weekend, and then, yeah, we we just kind of oh, went through a snap lockdown in Brisbane, and then nearly had a holiday cancelled, and then it was back on, and so it's been you know a few ups and downs in the last three weeks. I'd had a say. supper
1: club. Had that a was, supper club. That was a high, but it's also meant we've been slightly busier, but also lazy and not actually sat down and written about the ideas that we did have which could have been a podcast.
0: I was thinking whether we could swing there being a snap lockdown as a reason why we didn't film a podcast but uh, podcasting is literally the only activity creatively that you could do if you were locked with your mobile phone somewhere and not able to do outside fun stuff so Yeah, I'm not really sure what happened there. Anyway, we're back again with uh, a great episode for you guys. We wanted to talk about something that uh, is very close to Shabini's heart. Um, What is it? What are we talking about?
1: Recipes. And I'm just going to leave it at that for now. uh, And we're going to dig into it a little bit more. It's something I've been thinking about recently. And I think it's quite an interesting thing to be talking about and I want more people to be a little bit more conscious about how they cook, what they cook. And to me, I don't know, it's quite like a personal thing, obviously. So if anyone is listening to this and they are a cook that cooks with recipes, this is not against you. This is just a thought and an interesting one about how we as a society Um, as a generation even are so reliant upon recipes amongst other things in other streams of life such as tutorials instructions etc etc but obviously we're trying to do food stuff and talk about things that interest us and we talk about a lot as well and we thought this would be quite an interesting one what are your thoughts on this
0: so you're you're saying just to try and like narrow things down a little bit because talking about all things recipes is pretty difficult in like a That's half true. Podcast. Sorry, guys. Narrowing things down slightly for the listener, what we're going to try and talk about today is this idea of intuition versus instruction. So, coming from you know a food standpoint, I guess that would mean you know, do you let your instincts take you places, and do you learn through just doing stuff and making mistakes, perhaps, and just doing it again and making it better. Or do you want the finished product first time via a set of instructions that someone on a YouTube video or in a in a cookbook has provided for you? And I'm, we're not saying, like you said, you know, we're not saying either approach is wrong. We're just saying that in general...
1: It's an interesting conversation yeah, to be a, had. An and you probably put it the best in saying intuition versus instruction or you, the other way around. No, that um, was it, yeah. Was yeah, it. and I think it's obviously this one's going to be related to food but in general as we go through life particularly our generation do we think that we are becoming ever so reliant on just people spoon feeding us stuff yeah and us not really using what we have already um and that might be in different like areas of life not just cooking like i understand that not everyone's got this insane like you know cooking instinct that some people may have
0: Mm, some people
1: Well, you know, a lot of other chefs or like not even chefs, home cooks, my mum, your mum, all the aunties that we know, all our grandparents and et cetera, et cetera. But is it something that's dying down a little bit? And if so, why is that interesting? Hey. So. (laughs) Sorry, I need to stop doing voice. Yeah. I'm not very good at it.
0: Well, this isn't a theatrical parody of yet another couple podcast believe it or not (laughs) this is this is the couple podcast sorry we're still here i'll behave that's all right no that was that was good that was very good thank you i don't think i'd give you the part but i I think it was very good try oh yeah well wow so first question for you how do you approach a new dish to say you've got a a, a thing in mind that you want to get to like um i don't know like a um like a korean short rib stew for example you you have this dish that you want to try and make what do you do what what, what are your steps
1: uh, I like that you've asked me a specific dish that you know how I made this and I have no idea what you're talking about yeah, so i I'm not a recipe follower. Um, I never have been. I've never cooked with recipes. I refer to a lot of recipe books and cookbooks uh, for inspiration. Um, I have plenty on my bookshelf and it's something I really enjoy flicking through. However, when I actually cook, I don't use recipes. And it's just something I'm not actually comfortable doing because I feel like it restricts me as a person. I understand that lots of people do it The other way around, so please try and not get offended by me saying a lot of the things that I'm about to say. I completely let my instincts guide me. Um, In Bangla, it's something we call andaj, and I've been using that word a lot more freely nowadays because, yeah, it's a kind of combination of intuition and instinct. And when I cook, I'm really mindful about what I'm doing, so I really focus on the sounds, the smells, the sights my feel of the food obviously I'm not putting my hand into a hot pan most of the time but it's just something that really really focuses down to the senses for me Mm. um and I feel like having a recipe on my phone on my laptop a book kind of pulls me away from that process and distracts me so for me when I make a particular dish and often I really do go like kind of what what's the word i don't know without like an end point in mind i let my tastes really guide me in my head and this is going to sound really really strange but before i make anything and this is literally any dish i have a taste in my head um so i started calling it my mind's tongue um in slightly fancier words i like that phrase that's... yeah it's my mind's tongue like yeah. i have a taste in my head and that's how i cook Obviously, this is not applicable to lots of people, uh, but it might be applicable to some of you, and you might know what I'm talking about that then what I do is I let my kind of other senses guide me to that point in my head where I know it's what I want to eat so with this particular short rib stew that Rigel mentioned um funny story attached to it that we ate out at one of our one of our favorite Korean restaurants back in London, yep. Um, and they make an incredible kalbi jim, uh, which is a short rib Korean stew made with red dates. Um, some root vegetables as well. It's quite like a sticky, spicy, sweet dish. Yeah. Hella delicious. Um, but I didn't know how to make that. I had this dish. I loved it. I've had it twice before I actually tried to make it myself and the making it myself process pretty much was getting some short rib, getting the ingredients that I knew went into the stew by a very quick Google while I was in a shop. So I had these ingredients, looked at them for about three, four seconds, which is normally how long I spend looking at a particular thing, unless I'm reading a story about it or something. And then I kind of just let my smell and my I don't know, senses guide me. And I got this dish and it did taste the same. I'm very proud of that. And, but it is something I think I'm really proud of. This process that I do, I can't explain it any more than, than I have. I don't know. Rachel might need to step in and explain it a bit for well, me Well, I think
0: the trouble is that I can't either. Yeah. And I think it's quite difficult to convey that to anyone listening uh, or anyone who wants to try and replicate that process because you can't unless it comes naturally to you. So it's not something that you can... Like, I mean, it doesn't feel like something that you can just become good at if you're not already a little bit good at it. Like, if you, if you haven't got any idea of how to use your
1: intuition. Like, yes and no, because I didn't know how to do this, like, six years ago mm. when I started my cooking, like, journey, when I started actually cooking a little bit more than, you know, just, like, something you'd do at the end of a day. Um, I've become really good at focusing on it and, like, actually using it but I don't know what it is. So if I've confused you, I'm really sorry.
0: <laughs> That's fine. Oh, You haven't confused me, I presume. Because you
1: know what I'm talking about, but I think I always struggle putting this into words because I don't know how I get to a particular end point. But if I have eaten something and I really like it, this is a lot of my inspiration as well. Like, obviously, there's watching things and seeing pictures and books, etc. But a lot of my actual cooking and food inspiration comes from me physically eating something and I will be like, oh my God, this is incredible how they got this flavour. But there is something in my head or in my, I don't know, taste buds or my eyes or my ears, whatever it is, um, that guides me and I can make, I can replicate a dish when you without having learned how to make sorry,
0: it. Sorry to interrupt you. When you have that taste in your head, can you then, does it, create a roadmap of how to get to that point because you don't just end up with that taste from those ingredients. There's so much alchemy that needs to happen to that set of things. Yeah.
1: I think the, ba- the reason why I've got better at it is because I taste and buy and experiment with a lot more ingredients. Um, and I think that kind of creates this like food dictionary in my head mm. of like, things I can reach into and be like this tastes like this and I know this works with this Mm. Um, and that could be I don't know sauces condiments stocks lots of things um, spices Um, and it's almost yeah like using it like a dictionary when you're about to like write something when you've learned how to write it when you're a kid it's just like if you sit down and try and write something now you'll be able to do it because you have all these things in your head Right. so it's kind of like that except I didn't learn how to do it like no. I didn't go to chef school I didn't even learn from my mum to be honest I just picked it up
0: well I don't know whether that is like whether that's something I, I obviously neither of us know anything about chef school so we can't really say whether that is a skill that you're trained on and like you know you're encouraged to develop but um, yeah it's, it's it's a really interesting way of looking at cooking I think um, and that's why I kind of wanted to pick your brains a little bit in front of everyone listening
1: <laughs> yeah i mean i'm i really do apologize if it sounds extremely weird and confusing but it is that is exactly how i cook and like i do write down recipes nowadays because i want people to reenact some of the things that i do because I think they're very tasty Mm. but I also don't do it with all the food that I make there's probably 50% of the food that I'm making doesn't get a recipe and it's just something I will make and I have no idea what I've put in it to be honest and it's happened with friends very frequently where someone's come for dinner I've made something and they're like have you made this and to all our friends listening um I don't know like and I've told you that answer and I've it's just something that I can't even process myself. Like, I will have just reached out to ingredients, put them in. I don't know what quantity goes in. Um, Ten minutes later, I have no idea.
0: I, without wanting to poeticize your process at all, because it's already a very beautiful po- process. Thank you. Um, <laughs> it sounds like, I, I look at a dish, like, as an average, you know, from a food point of view, an average person, and just see the name of the dish, right, like a calvy gym. But you see that when you taste it, especially you almost turn that or translate that into, like, a paragraph, and then, like you're saying, you you bring in to that phrases, motifs, you know, like, metaphors, things that you use as part of your diction and your language of food to then get to that end point of, like, a paragraph of text, almost.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, again, I just really want to reiterate that I haven't always been good at this. I'm much better at it now, and I hope to get better and better at it. It is something that requires me to focus a little bit, um, which is why I can't be doing like, I don't know, three or four other things as well as cooking. When I'm cooking, I cook very fast and I can cook it, cook it depending on the dish, obviously not slow cooked dishes, et cetera, but on a regular weeknight or weekend dinner, I can cook things very fast, but for those 10 or 15 minutes that I'm cooking for, I'm really, really focused. Mm. And I'm only thinking about what is going in to the heat and what I'm chopping and what I'm picking on. So to me, going back to the whole recipe thing, having a recipe and a framework that actually distracts me from that process and I really feel having watched some friends cook and like just general social media vibes of cooking, I feel like having a step-by-step tutorial for every single thing that you're making kind of distracts you from using your intuition. Um, because I, I really do believe that people can taste and smell and see as they cook stuff. And uh, sometimes you may miss something because you're looking at something else. I
0: think it, it strikes me that when people look at a recipe and they want to cook something, they almost want to minimize the amount of agency they have in the creation of that dish so that there's less room to deviate from the final product. Do you know what I mean? Like... You don't want to add too much of your own intuition into the dish because you might ruin it, essentially.
1: Yeah, true. And I think I've had that plenty of times as well. Um, But I think the only way that you can hone in on that, just as like a regular person making like a little dinner or lunch for yourself, is just by kind of really paying attention to the ingredients that are going into that food. And the more mindful you are of that process even if you do it like two times or like four times you'll see by the sixth time that you're doing it you'll understand what flavors kind of like marry together work like what works on the heat and that comes from paying attention to what you're doing I think a little bit
0: oh sorry Um, (laughs) I think we've come to a point now and this is another episode of a podcast that we're thinking of doing at some point which is about food TV shows and how food TV has changed so much in just our lifetime but I think now we're exposed to such a breadth of dishes from like all across the world and that could be right from you know YouTube channels to big budget documentaries on major TV broadcasters Um, you're exposed to so much and often that comes with really nice detailed recipes that kind of handhold you to the end process that you probably put a lot of pressure on yourself to make that dish correctly. You know, like, whereas previously it may not have been the case that you even had a good piece of source material to work from and all you had was this kind of faint notion of I want to make a Chinese dish or I want to make a Japanese dish. But now you're making a specific Japanese dish from this one monastery you saw on that episode of Chef's Table in season two. Like, people have such a clear, defined vision of what they want to create that perhaps without that recipe, you almost feel paralysed. Like, how am I meant to actually achieve that level of, you know, quality? Maybe not. I don't know if that's just like... I
1: think this really does kind of, like, highlight the fact that all the content we see, including myself, and I try and switch off from it very often nowadays, um, including cookbooks, is everything is just, like, insanely beautiful, perfect-looking, and you unless you're making that sort of level of food, you're kind of scared of making food. And I really, really think it's a bit shit that that happens, to be honest. Because yeah. even I've, I've had this so often that I get really anxious about what I'm making and I actively post on Instagram. But seeing so much content that looks and kind of sounds incredible kind of almost puts you off from posting just a regular little dish that you might be eating one evening, which tastes insane, but it may not look the most Instagrammable because you know what? It's probably brown or beige, Mm. as is a lot of home Asian cooking. Yep. Um, And it's kind of scary. And yeah, off-putting actually, because I've seen it again with friends and family, etc., that... People just have all these really high standards of food that they just want to meet all the time. And every single dish needs to be like a restaurant dish. And actually, that's just not what life's like. And you don't have time to do that all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, you know, 80% of the food that I make at home probably doesn't even get photographed because it's hot and it's tasty and we eat it within five minutes of it being cooked. And I don't have time to make it look pretty and take a picture.
0: Yeah and also I'm you know I'm like a ravenous beast at the table just like staring at the food as it's arriving so I think that probably puts more pressure on you to yeah. not photograph it all the time. And I
1: think again like kind of tying it back to recipe books and like where the like I guess the original sort of framework comes from like recipe books back in the day didn't have pictures so it was a lot less pressure inducing and people probably did glance at things and use their own kind of imagination to get to a certain point Um, obviously giving you that knowledge of whatever dish you're making from whatever region of the world and expecting you to have a little bit of background knowledge as well. Whereas nowadays I think everything is just so simplified. Everything looks gorgeous on a cookbook page and photos are heavily styled having had some previous work experience in this. Mm. And a lot of the photos that you might be seeing on a page Or an Instagram for, like, real, like, it might not actually be tasty. And you don't know that because you're not eating it. You're just looking at the physical kind of representation of it. And, yeah, it's just the sad reality, unfortunately. But because of all these, like, kind of visual representations, people feel a lot of pressure to just either not do it or do it and, like, completely not use their, like, own kind of instincts and just rely on what's being told to them. And actually a lot of the times you you might be disappointed because it might not look like those people have made it and it might not look like the book picture because you know what, they have food stylists for this job.
0: <laughs> so do you think actually, and this is probably a really cheesy thing to say, but it's not about the outcome, it's about the process. Like it's about how you get there or it's about the journey, not the destination.
1: Well, yeah, yes and no, because I mean, it. it it is about the taste at the end. No, of course. Ultimately. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's about the picture at the end is what I'm trying to get away from. Yeah, yeah. I think it's about how you feel when you're eating that particular food. Yeah. and
0: I guess, I guess what I was alluding to, well, what I was sort of leaning towards was if you invest in the process. Like if you invest in being mindful and really caring about what you're putting into the pan and like understanding the ingredients you're cooking with that is worth a lot more than staring intently at a recipe and trying to desperately create the final product.
1: Yeah, exactly. I, I really feel that. And again, you might not be comfortable doing that. And actually a recent conversation with a friend who said that he had tried to cook something without a recipe, like a home dish that he's eaten growing up or something. Um, and he used the word liberating um, because he didn't follow a you know a piece of paper or like something on a screen and I think that's how I've always felt about it I think it's probably when I feel my most liberated because there's nothing really like you know constraining me from doing something good however you do need to have the background knowledge a little bit you need like I read a lot about different ingredients and like different recipes and different stories And that then kind of comes into play when I'm doing the actual cooking. That
0: informs your cooking.
1: Yeah, but what I'm trying to say is don't read and do, if you can, and maybe have an evening or a day on the weekend where you step away from using a recipe if that's what you've always done and see how it goes. Um, Yeah. In brackets, Uh, read about the stuff before.
0: Read about the stuff before. (laughs) And On a similar note, I was going to ask about measuring and measurements in general. um, Because... That's something that often I know you struggle with when you when it comes to writing your own recipes up because you're like, oh, I I guess I added like two tablespoons of, you know, sugar maybe into the sauce at some point. But I can't remember if that was all at the start or like if it was like, you know, in, in bits and like overall, could it have been more or less? It's an example.
1: Uh, this one's quite like a tricky one, because I think if you're if you're trying to cook for like, you know, a restaurant service sort of situation you need strict measurements and strict recipes because you need that food to be out every single day Mm. I'm not talking about that we're talking about home food and just people cooking for fun and pleasure and you know their regular routine and I really think and I'm gonna heavily quote Nigella here because I've been recently reading her book and she really hones in on this that a recipe is ultimately it's a bit of a framework and it is up to you and your ingredients actually because a lot of the times like i will be using particular ingredients from a particular shop in a particular country or region things aren't the same everywhere in the world yeah and it's actually very common that i don't know like different spices have different pungencies and like different strengths and there's a lot of variances and like this is when i really think the intuition should kick in a little bit because if I'm using a particular type of salt or a salt from a particular company that might be saltier or less salty than the salt you're using in your kitchen and you should be able to tell that difference like when you're cooking to not add a big tablespoon of salt if you don't think you need it but blindly following my recipe or you know whoever's recipe might mislead you in fact
0: Mm.
1: and Salt's like a pretty basic one, but there's loads of ingredients and it depends what brand you buy and it depends where you're really getting it from. Um, And especially with things like vegetables, it really depends on where you are in the world and how fresh that vegetable is. If I'm cooking with something that's a day old versus you cooking with that same vegetable after two weeks of it being in your fridge, it's very different. Um, So I think recipes need to have these little kind of what's it margins of yeah error.
0: margins of error exactly
1: yeah and like that's when your intuition should kick in a little bit so you shouldn't just be blindly following something yeah because things really do differ where you are in your kitchen your hob might have a different gas power to mine and mine might take six minutes and yours might take 10 minutes but it's always a guideline and then what you do with it is kind of up to you yeah um how strictly you follow it is also up to you but you can just provide like a rough guideline. And yeah, I think that's really important. And I always take that into account when I'm making stuff. Even if I am like, you know, making something that's completely new and I've read about it somewhere, um, about using my own senses and my taste and my sight to like judge before I just blindly follow measurements from something. I've never cooked with measurements. My mom has never cooked with measurements. Nobody in any of our families. In any Indian family and anyone Bengali listening to this, we, it's just not something we do. And that's the next bit. Mm.
0: Is there an argument to be made for the recipe book? Is there a, is there a significance of it that you just can't have you know, a world where they don't exist?
1: Oh, yeah, like, absolutely, because recipes are, like, documentation, and that's how you learn about stuff. Mm. So it definitely needs to exist. Um, it's I, just about how, again, like, do you treat it as, like, set in stone, and that's exactly what you do, or do you play around with it a little bit, and I think that's what we're trying to talk about. What do you think?
0: In the, yeah, I was going to say kind of a similar thing to that, but, like, I remember in the reading we did for the, um, for the British Indian food uh, episode, we read that essentially recipe books are the kind of entry point for like cross-cultural transfer of ideas in food and that was especially true in a pre-digital media day um that's how for example again from that episode that's how indian food even came into the consciousness of the british is because of recipe books so you can't you can't discount the, the
1: oh no hundred percent significance not. Yeah. of
0: them like culturally speaking and historically speaking and I think you're right like documentation is probably the number one thing it provides because it, it provides a snapshot of how people cooked at, at that a time particular
1: time and place yeah
0: and it and it kind of you can map the movement of cultures and ingredients and th- how they merged into one another um, really well through cookbooks.
1: Yeah, I think if you didn't have recipe books or documentation, like, food culture would probably really struggle, Mm. but at the same time, being devil's advocate here, for centuries and centuries, Asian food has never had any documentation.
0: Asian food meaning, like,
1: South Asian food? Yeah, well, South Asian food and East Asian food, actually, like, documentation is a very recent phenomenon. Yep. Yep. Almost like things in Asian culture, and I'm probably gonna say like anything but European culture actually, Mm. it has always been through word of mouth. People never used to concrete write down recipes. There were recipe books, but they were again guidelines. They were like kind of leading you towards a goal of a dish without a picture, mainly, and also without strict measurements. Um, I think only European and particularly obviously French cuisine and culture started off the actual pretty strict documentation of food, yeah. Um, which again, it's great and it's really important and that's how things get passed down.
0: And that's how, uh, I mean, you could probably argue French cuisine has ended up on the map in such a big way, like in terms of- Well,
1: it's like the center of the food map still, yeah, because that's what dates back and that's what you have actual documentation for. Whereas actually, again, non-European cuisine as a whole, like I'm saying like, you know, African, Asian, all sorts of Asian. Um, that dates back way further, to be honest. Mm. And I think everyone knows this as well. But because of the lack of documentation and things just being passed down orally, like through families and generations and friends and cousins, it's just not as much on the map. And it's starting to be, which is what is great about it. Yeah. It's really starting to find its place. And there's, again, yeah, like probably decades and centuries of traditions and things that have been lost as a result but it's good that it's starting from somewhere and yeah I'm still very pro recipes I just want there to be kind of like a hand-in-hand process of like learning and then doing and using your instincts while you're doing and using recipes as a guideline um, to experiment a little bit and things don't move forward unless people experiment
0: I think so too My, uh, just to round things off a little bit, my number one issue with recipes is always garlic because (laughs) the recipe will read. We love garlic. The recipe will read (laughs) one to two cloves of garlic.
1: That's just a lie.
0: Depending on size of clove. I'm like, even if I have a fucking clove of garlic that is the size of my fist.
1: Okay. Now that's enough.
0: I'm still using two. I don't know. I feel oh, jeez. Like, I feel like we need a lot of garlic, you know? Okay.
1: Well, yeah, it, it does depend on the clove that you're using. And again, to kind of reiterate, it depends on the strength of the garlic that you have. If you have garlic that's like four weeks old that's been in your fridge, it's not going to be very strong.
0: Whereas if you just brought, bought some, you know, like strong French purple garlic from... It's going to be very strong
1: and you probably don't need more than two cloves. So yeah, it's little things like that. Like you have to judge if that recipe requires a strong flavour of garlic mm. and therefore you should probably use a bit more depending on what garlic you have. Mm.
0: Oh another or thing less. is sorry, uh is I just another thing that bugs me with the recipes is um two chilies, right? So like just like uh, yeah. or one chili. And then you're like, cool, I'll just get this Carolina Reaper that I found. Okay.
1: We don't have Carolina Reapers. No,
0: but say you're some exactly poor, unsuspecting, you know, yeah. food novice and you're like, ah oh, chili's a chili, here's a chili. So Here's one chili, and then that person. Or a scotch bonnet. Or a scotch bonnet, or something that's just like, you know, okay, Carolina Reapers are pretty hard to get in most shops in the UK, but like you can get scotch bonnets pretty easily now.
1: Yeah, exactly. If you say
0: you pick one of those up instead of like, I don't know, a
1: finger chili or a a, a pepper chili. Yeah,
0: or even a bird's eye chili, like it's so much hotter and it will ruin your life because.
1: So there you go, guys. Kind of just read a bit more around what you're using learn about your ingredients that you're using. So An- another it. good example, actually, is oh, yeah. freshly ground pepper versus just powdered pepper that you've bought I was thinking that a before.
0: Yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's a really good one. If yeah. you bought
1: powdered pepper from a shop, it's really shit. Don't buy it because it's not even pepper. I don't know what it is. It's like sawdust.
0: But then if, if your recipe dictates you need two teaspoons of pepper, if you're using freshly ground pepper, that's a lot of pepper. Like, it's a very strong pepper. Exactly.
1: So that's always something that i have really picked up on um i really love pepper and i think actual strong black pepper freshly ground up from peppercorns has a real good heat however generally people just buy the pepper grinders and you grind a little bit on top of your food it tastes of nothing you need to grind it for about a minute before you get an actual flavor of pepper in your food before you even get half a tablespoon exactly um and just to round this little bit off about recipes and putting salt and pepper in food, stop using grinders, guys, because it's really just not an effective way to put salt, pepper, or anything into your dish, because you have no physical ability to tell how much is going in.
0: Oh, this is your... Well, we're going to do, do an episode for sure, because I really want to, about using your hands...
1: Uh, And this is a number one thing where you should be using. So fun fact, I actually never measure salt with a spoon. Um, I only put salt in my food with pinches because that's the only way I can tell how much salt is going in. I have to physically be able to touch the salt. And fine if you're using a spoon, actually, it's completely okay. But a grinder really doesn't give you like an actual visual representation of what is going in your food and also condensation occurs when you're holding a grinder over a hot stove and it just clumps up your salt and pepper and it kind of gets rid of all the flavor so maybe don't do that if that's a little thing that you learn from this episode it's just not an effective way to flavor your food
0: Condiment corner
1: Oh, we're there already?
0: We're there. Okay. I've decided we're there. We're there now.
1: So today I found out that condiments aren't just sources, so I'm really excited by this because there's a lot of dry condiments that I can now talk about.
0: Yeah, we literally asked uh, Google uh, what a condiment was. Don't say Google. Oh, crap. It might talk to us. Well, if you hear it talking to us in the background, then you'll know who it is. Uh, By the way, we are very much prepared for the singularity when all Google nests will rise up and claim us as their own um
1: i feel like this is just a fear that you have anyway condiment corner what's a condiment today
0: the condiment today is chaat masala chaat mashala to those more bengali inclined of you um chaat mashala is well what is it you you tell me
1: Uh, ah it is the magic of all powders I uh, don't know about that, actually. Some people may...
0: Prefer cocaine.
1: Yeah, or other powders. Anyway...
0: Other powders are available, but this one...
1: Is the best one. Because... It is so damn tasty. I have always grown up eating chaat mushla on lots of things. and You can eat it on cucumber, apples, lots of fruit, lots of food. Um, it is basically kind of the central flavour of Indian street food everywhere. Um, and it's just really delicious. It kind of consists of cumin coriander pepper bay leaf asafoetida which is hing um, it's kind of like the indian msg i like to call it uh, black salt also kind of like the indian msg because it's a bit like sulfuric-y smelly salt um amchur dry mango powder you never make your own chaat masala, by the way so if you're looking for a recipe, there isn't one. Indians don't make chaat masala; You buy it in a shop.
0: Normally, uh, it feels weird. Normally, at this point, I would say, make it yourself, you plebs. But now I'm actually going to be like, buy it yourself from the shelves. Yeah,
1: buy chaat masala. My recommendation would be to always buy small quantities of chaat masala because it loses its fragrance pretty quickly. So if you have a big tub of it, it's probably going to be quite stale in like a month
0: although the rate at which we get through Jacques mushler
1: we could have a big tub i think so you can honestly put it on anything so like i said start with some fruit if you've never had some chat try it with some oranges apples anything tart works cucumber also works amazing with jack oh,
0: because it just soaks it up and like cucumbers are obviously quite bland to begin with but then they just it just sings when it's you great. add some to But
1: it. if you're trying to introduce it to some food, um, try sprinkling some on your chips. Uh, it's something my mum used to do um, post school. Um, not chips, uh, but you know the smiley faces, the defrosted ones. In the oh, oven. the
0: potato smiley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Uh, or waffles, like the potato waffles. Yeah. That with some ketchup. Oh, and a bit, oh, of,
0: a bit of tomato ketchup. Bit of
1: ketchup. Great. If you don't like ketchup, you can have another sauce.
0: Other sauces are available.
1: Um, but chowat moshle really, really just oh, just makes all food better. But yes, chips, waffles, smiley faces, hash browns. If
0: there's anything street foodie and Indian-y, and it tastes really, really, really good. It definitely has a lot of this stuff in it.
1: Yeah. Um, and in terms of hot food, I don't know, you can add it to, I don't know, omelets. Um, Indian masala omelets have chaat mushla.
0: Oh, cheese toastie would be great with some chaat mushla. Cheese
1: toasties are great with chaat mushla. Um, chutneys, um, I don't know, you can try adding some to some uh, mayo as well. It's actually really good. I've done it in the past. Because it kind of fully really spices it up. It's like a sriracha mayo, but without the sriracha, obviously. And in terms of food, you can do some stir-fried vegetables with it. Honestly, you can do anything with it. Just don't eat a whole spoon of it. It's quite strong.
0: And don't put it in dessert because that's just weird.
1: Yeah, don't put it in dessert or anything sweet. It's can just savory. You put it savoury. in a drink.
0: You can put it in a drink. That's also oh great.
1: lemonade and chaat masala. It's like oh, so good. Oh. Um, there's a thing in Kolkata called masala. Thumbs up which any Bengali friends will instantly know what I'm talking about. You go to a stall, they open a bottle of Thumbs Up, which is kind of like Coke, but better.
0: More E-numbers, somehow.
1: Yeah, yeah, more E-numbers. It's owned by Coca-Cola. And they add a spoon of chaat in it and a little bit of black salt, which is bitnu no kalanamak, the kind of self-yorky salt I was talking about. And, oh, it's like the best drink ever.
0: man. Um, I'm getting thirsty just thinking about it we should probably we should probably end things there I don't think yeah it's I
1: think we're hungry and we need a bit of hydration as well yes oh but man thank you for listening and we will be back very soon
0: back well definitely sooner than the um, last episode <laughs> so that's not hard yeah thanks guys bye this has been yet another couple podcast Recorded by me, Rigel and Shahini. Engineering by me, Rigel and Shahini. Editing by, you guessed it, me, Rigel and Shahini. And sound effects by neither of us. Sound effects courtesy of the Anchor app. Um, and theme tune by me, Ridgel.